Good morning. How y'all doing out there? Y'all been a lively bunch this morning, amen? All right, let's just hope it continues on. Praise God. Well, uh, Teresa, happy birthday to you again. I think I am in hot water with her, amen? Hot water. Uh, but anyway, this message today, I don't know, it's about the uh, Jesus and the calming of the storm. Uh, that's why the music has all been geared toward that. It's been a wonderful, wonderful worship service. And I don't know if you know this, but Stephen and Teresa live on the lake in the summertime. Did y'all know that? I mean, live on it. So today's kind of ironic that it's her birthday and we're in this passage. So I just felt like, hey, let's sing her happy birthday. Amen? Amen. So join me in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 as we look at Jesus calming the storm. So the last time we gathered, we uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper, and today we pick up in the book of Luke chapter 8. And the last time we were in Luke chapter 8, we looked at this very interesting question of who Jesus considers his family. Do you remember that passage? He says one sentence that just cuts to the heart. He says, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. Hear the word of God and do it. And speaking of family of God members and people that Jesus considers their family, our associate minister is back from vacation. He and Joanna, where are they? There they are. Say, welcome them back today, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Safe from Disney World all the way back to the good old Smyrna, Tennessee. Amen? All right. Chasing kids all over the Magic Kingdom, Epcot Center, and all that wonderful being scared half to death on those roller coasters and all that cool stuff, right? Amen. So, <laughs> praise God. So, who does Jesus consider his family members, those who believe in the Word of God, and then put the Word of God into practice. Gave you one more reference from the Gospel of John chapter 1 on this, just to give you a little bit more insight as to how God sees this and, and teaches this. John says in verses 9 through 13 in chapter 1, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So that is who Jesus considers his family. Those that hear the commands and the words of God and act on them, believe them, and act on them. Well, now today in the Gospel of Luke, the scene changes to one of the more memorable episodes of Jesus and the Apostles. Today, we go on a boat ride. Amen? You ready to go on a boat ride with Jesus? Yeah. Today, we go on a boat ride with Jesus and the Apostles, except in this case, Jesus takes... His family, who he just called his family, he takes them directly into a storm. Directly into a storm. And I think it was Adrian Rogers, the late Adrian Rogers, who was the longtime pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Who remembers Adrian? Raise your hand. Everybody, yeah. Wonderful pastor. He's in heaven now. But he, and I don't know if, if he was the originator of this sentence, he probably wasn't, he probably learned it through his studies, 
But he used to always say this. He said, in life, you are either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're going into a storm. No matter what, there's always a storm right around the corner in our lives. So Jesus is about to take who he considers family on a boat and set sail for the other side of the sea and the disciples are in for the ride of their lives. So join me, Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, and this just catches you off guard, doesn't it? As they sail, he what? <laughs> he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? You find this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew is very similar to Luke, but Mark gives you a couple of added details I want to give you this morning. Mark tells us where Jesus was when he was sleeping. Mark tells us he was in the stern of the boat, so he was in the, the back of the boat. Mark also tells us there was a little more dialogue. Then when the disciples became terrified, they woke him, and they, he adds this, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he awoke and rebuked the wind and, sa and said, Peace, be still. And everything went to a calm. Well, let's look into this and see what we can walk away with today as we leave this place and go on to our lives for next week. First couple of verses, verses 22 and 23. Jesus takes the disciples into a storm on the sea. So one day he got into the boat with the disciples and he said, let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out, he falls asleep, windstorm comes down and they're almost being capsized. Now, you can look at this one of two different ways. And how you look at this is going to let you know a little bit about your beliefs, specifically God's sovereignty. One way to look at it is that Jesus had no idea a storm was coming. He put those disciples in the boat, and as they sailed across the sea, he was as surprised by the storm as they were. Another way you can look at this is that Jesus knew exactly where he and what he was taking the disciples into. He knew that he was taking the disciples into the storm. Notice the words of Jesus, or notice the word of the text. He, meaning Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. So Jesus purposefully led his disciples directly into a storm. Now the question always arises, did Jesus know the storm was coming? Jesus always knows the storm is coming. And I would go so far as to say Jesus sometimes sends us directly into the storm. 
How does that fit in your theology this morning, brothers and sisters? About as good as it fits into my theology. We don't want to believe that the God of love would send us into a storm. But I would tell you that that is the exact reason why he does. Because he loves us. Because he wants us to be tested. Because he wants us to grow into our faith. Because trials and tribulations are the exact thing that builds us into his image to prepare us to be his children and to take his gospel to the world. Because he knows as well as anybody knows that we shall have tribulation in this life as Christians. Someone may say, my God is not that way. He would not do that to me. Well, if your God is Jesus Christ, he absolutely would send you directly into a challenging situation to grow your faith and test who you are. The name of God's people translated in Hebrew, Israel, actually means one that struggles with God. Therefore, God would send us into difficulty. So Jesus takes that group of disciples and leads them to board the boat and head across the Sea of Gennesaret, or Galilee, directly into a storm. So the Bible says, so they set out. And what did Jesus do? <laughs> Falls asleep in the boat. The Gospel of Mark, as already mentioned, tells us that Christ went to the stern of the boat and went to sleep on a, on a cushion. Now, I did a little, just a little research, not much. I, I Googled it, basically, um, to, to, to study what exactly size boat this was. Because that's, that's, I mean, you get different opinions about the Jesus boat that they found decades ago around the Sea of Galilee. But an approximation size of this boat would be that it was about 26 feet long, it was about 8 feet wide, and about 4 feet deep. That's a pretty decent-sized boat, and Christ was asleep in the stern, which would have been the more stable place as the boat's bow began to do what? Crash into the waves, right? So that's where Jesus was. Now, there's a ton of information here, a ton of information. Jesus, the Son of God, was so tired that as soon as the boat set out from shore, he went to the back of the boat, found a comfortable spot, laid down on a cushion, and within moments... Entered slumberland just like us. Wow. We see a true picture of his humanity in this moment. And as I think about the disciples and Jesus getting on this boat, my mind went back to Greenville, Mississippi to Lake Ferguson because when I was a teenager, our family went to the lake all the time. All the time. We lived about four miles from Lake Ferguson and skied and fished nearly every weekend during the summer. And sometimes I would get up early in the morning and fish until 8 o'clock and then go to work. On Saturdays, I would go out, fish till about 10. Then when it got hot, I would find a shady spot, jump in the, jump in the lake right quick, cool off a little bit, get back up, fish some more. And I can remember, I can remember when I would take a nap sometimes in that shade, I could remember listening to all the sounds on the lake the water gently crashing or, or against the bottom of the boat, bugs flying around, people way off in the distance talking, their voices would be carried over the water, hearing fishermen argue over what lure they were going to use before they fished, hearing birds tweet and, and chirp as they flew through the air. Being on the water was a very, very peaceful place, as I remember, as a teenager. 
And I'm sure the Sea of Galilee was, was no different. I'm sure that there were places that were very peaceful in the Sea of Galilee, hearing the, as Jesus went back to the, to the back of the boat, the stern of the boat, and he would lay on that, on that cushion, and he could hear the disciples talking to one another and, and hear the creaking of the wood as they rowed the boat and set the sail to, to go across the, the sea. It was a very peaceful, peaceful place. Plenty of activity at times, but plenty of quiet for rest. That's, that's where Jesus was, in the boat with his family, going across the sea but deep in his heart Jesus knew that the day wasn't going to go that smooth for the disciples but where was he and what was he doing sleep so why was Jesus so tired let's ask that question why was he so tired one word ministry right ministry Let's be sure everyone understands just how draining ministry is on the body and the mind. Do you realize how draining ministry is on the body and the mind? Very, very draining. It is constant spiritual warfare. It never ends. Never. As long as you're alive, constant spiritual warfare. Someone's hand is always out. We hear the worst of everyone's lives most of the time. And then you have your own, you have your own troubles and struggles to deal with in your own life, plus the trouble and struggles of everyone else. And when you prove not to be God, many times people write you off in a heartbeat. Those you thought were friends prove to be users. Ministry can be very tough. Jesus experienced this. The apostles experienced this. And he was tired, and so he went to sleep. That's one of the reasons why, if you read Paul, Paul actually encouraged those called to ministry to stay single. Did you realize that? In 1 Corinthians 7, he actually encouraged that. He gave you a reason why. He said, the unmarried man is is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Can I get a witness? Amen. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. Just so happens Jesus remained single his whole life, specifically for that reason and to stay pure. So Jesus was exhausted, worn out from ministry. He asked the disciples to get into the boat with him and head to the other side of the lake, knowing where they were headed. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and we're in danger. And this storm comes, and the wind blows hard and howls, and the waves obey the wind. And these huge waves begin to crash over the sides of the boat and fill the boat with, with water. And all the while, where is Jesus? Sleeping. This question resonated in my mind as I was reading this text, and I have to believe that God wants you to to, to hear this question. Have you ever been in the midst of a trial or a tribulation and you felt like God was, was sleeping on you? Have you ever felt like that? Like, where is God? Where is he? Is he asleep? Does he not know what I'm going through? Of course, we know the answer to that. Of course, he is not. But I can tell you the nerve that this would would hit for me. The nerve it would hit for me, because as you know me, I'm a doer. I'm wound pretty tight. I I, I mean, sometimes I will work until I just collapse. It's just who I am. That's how God wired me. 
I'm always doing something. I'm just a doer. Have been ever since I was, I was, I was born, really. And how this would hit me, you know, here we are following this Jesus around, doing what he says, watching and learning. He tells us to get in the boat and head to the other side of the sea so we do it because we want to be a hearer of the word of God and a what? You, you with me so far? So here we are, we're doing it, and now there's a storm that has suddenly come up and is threatening our lives. And where is Jesus? Asleep in the boat. We are tired too. We were with him. We were with him the whole time. But we are fighting for our lives while he sleeps. I don't know if you've ever gone through this, but have you ever been the one that was working on a project before and you were the only one working and everybody else was taking a break and goofing off and not doing anything? That made you mad? I mean, you're sitting over there working and you're looking out of the corner of your eye and ain't nobody else doing nothing to help do nothing, but you're over there diligently working, trying to get the job done? That had to be, that had to be frustrating for the disciples to be in this situation, to know who they had in the boat and wonder why he was asleep. Why? So let's go to verse 24. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. Now here's something that we have to, that we have to see here. The disciples were terrified. These were burly, strong, Galilean fishermen. Did they have calluses on their hands and feet? Yes. No palm olive for them. Amen? Calluses on their hands and feet. These were rough and rugged Galilean fishermen that had grown up, grown up on the Sea of Galilee. They had fished most of their lives probably from the time they were young boys until this day. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew the Sea of Gennesaret. They understood it. Surely this was not the first storm that they had been caught out on the water in, but yet here they are, these fishermen. At least we know there were four there, and that would be Peter and Andrew and, and uh, James and John of Zebedee, and they are terrified, and they go to Jesus to wake him up. So they are horrified. So Jesus not only led them into an average storm, he led them into a terrifying storm. So terrifying that these veteran fishermen were horrified and woke up the rabbi to plead with him for help. So Mark's account has a little bit more bite in it. He says the disciples woke up and said, teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? I can definitely, I can definitely understand that. So he woke up, rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. The Bible says they ceased. And there was a calm. Now you know what's interesting is that if you spend any time at all on the water, and this is part of the miracle that I think we miss if we don't dig into it a little bit, but if you've spent any amount of time on the water when any type of squall came up, I've never been in a situation like this, but when you go out and a... And a, and a squall comes up, when the wind passes by, do the waves immediately calm? No, it takes time. 
typically the wind dies down first, the waves are still real high, maybe white capping for a while, and then they eventually slow down or go away because the wind is now gone. But it seems as though when Jesus says, peace, be still, calm overtook everything instantaneously. The Lord Jesus Christ, peace, be still. The entire sea and sky completely became calm all at once. Just as God commanded by his word the earth and sky into existence, Christ commanded the sea, wind, and sky to be still. Now let me give a word of warning here, okay? Just a word of warning here. And I always like to give you a disclaimer, and I'm just going to give it. You're not going to like what I'm about to say, okay? Since I have been a Christian, uh, I have come across believers that encourage and teach others to rebuke storms, okay? To rebuke storms. Have any of y'all come across that? A storm is coming, so they go outside, and they, 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 in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this storm. I do not believe that is correct theology. I do not believe that we have the same anointing and the same power in our lives that Jesus did when he was here. And why would that be? Because who are we not? We are not Jesus. We are his disciples, but we are not Jesus. Therefore, whenever something happens in our lives, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we don't pray if a storm is coming or a tornado is coming, that we don't pray and ask God to intervene and let the storm pass. But the last thing I think we need to be doing as Christians is go stand out in the pathway of a tornado and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, leave. Because what likely is going to happen to you? You're going to be sucked up in the tornado and you're going to die. It is absolutely fine to pray and ask God if it be his will for that to happen. But let's not get too carried away with ourselves on this. There are many a false teacher that has, there's many been, a, in, my, in my years, there's been many a sincere Christian who has drifted off into this name it, claim it theology where they get out there and they believe, they believe that they have the power of God. And they believe they can rebuke storms and they can rebuke cancer, and they can rebuke all of these different kinds of things. And, and hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm all about praying for healing. You've heard me say that a thousand times. I'm not against that at all. I have anointed dozens of people with oil and prayed for them to be, to be healed from all types of different things. But you know how I do it? On my hands and knees before God with my hands on that person pleading to the Lord Jesus Christ, if it be your will, Lord Jesus, please free this individual from this illness or this cancer. If it be your will, Lord Jesus, please remove this storm. Please save us from this tornado. But I do not believe it is correct for Christians to go around and say, peace, be still to storms. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I think you need to be humble and I think you need to ask, Lord Jesus, if it be your will, just like Jesus said, where? And this is the proof text that's gonna take your mouths and close them back up, okay? In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus pray? Lord, Lord, remove this cup from me, yet what? Your will be done. That's how we pray as believers. Lord, remove this trial and tribulation, yet 
Your will be done. Lord, remove this cancer from this sick individual, yet what? Your will be done. Lord, please stop this tornado from coming to this community, yet what? Your will be done. Just a word of warning from this text. And I'll be ready for all the emails and the phone calls Monday, okay? Amen. This was Jesus. This was Jesus that did this. We are not Jesus. We're not. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we are not the same as Christ. We are not. We are his disciples. And if we want to rebuke storms and heal people, we must do it the way his brother instructed us. If it is your will, Lord, please stop the storm. If it be your will, Lord, please do X, Y, Z. Amen? Whoo, that was a weak amen. I am in trouble. Boy, oh boy. Final passage. He said to them, where is your faith? So these disciples have seen Christ stand up in the boat and, and rebuke the storm and everything go calm and peaceful. And they are literally terrified. And he says, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then? is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. So Christ rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith, meaning, I mean, why would he rebuke them? I mean, let's not be, let's not be too hard on the disciples here. Why would, he, why would he rebuke them? Well, much of the, many of the miracles that he had performed had happened all around Capernaum, which was where these fishermen lived and worked. So they saw the miracles happen. Number two, the huge catch of fish he provided Simon, Andrew, James, and John had happened not too far from where they were. Christ had cleansed a leper and a paralytic near Peter's own home and had healed Peter's mother from a fever. And then Christ had healed the centurion's servant via remote and raised the widow's son from the dead in name. These disciples had witnessed some incredible works done by Christ, but now... He has done something they have never seen before. He has commanded the winds and the water and the waves. He has commanded nature to obey. And nature obeyed. This miracle was different. This was not providing a huge catch of fish that could be rationalized away as a coincidence. The other miracles were human-related, cleansing a leper, giving a paralytic his ability to walk again, healing Peter's mom from a fever, still incredible, still miraculous, but all in the human realm. That they could, they, There was a degree of understanding that they had about that, the sick being healed, the dead coming alive, but someone who could command... The sea and the air and the sky without prayer. Jesus didn't have to pray for that, did he? Jesus just said, peace be still. And he spoke it into existence. Amazing. They're thinking to themselves, there is only one that can do that. And the only one that can do that that we know of is Yahweh God. The one who created the world and spoke it into existence, only he can do that. Where is your faith, Jesus says? You have been with me. 
You have seen evidence of who I am. Why would you not trust me in this realm of life as you do all the others? It's like we trust him over here, but we don't trust him over here. It's like we trust him with our finances, but we don't trust him with our health, or we trust him with our health, but don't trust him with our finances. It's like there are these lines that we draw out there where we don't trust God in one area, but we trust him somewhere else. Anybody guilty of that? I am. I'm very guilty of that. I mean, I'll tell you one place I'm guilty. That's in parenting. <laughs> Can I get a witness? I mean, parenting. Some will trust God everywhere else, but not parenting. You've got to trust God in parenting. Where is your faith, Jesus says. So let's apply this and then we'll be done. Let's apply this. How do we apply this? Well, the purpose, the purpose of this passage is to show Jesus' divinity and power over nature, over the sea, wind, and sky. I mean, that's the purpose of the miracle, his power over nature. And the other purpose was to do what to the disciples? Test their faith. No question about it. No question about it, to test their faith. That is why God puts you through trials and tribulations is to test your faith and make you stronger or discipline you if you fail and, and improve your strength the next time. That's what he does. Now, I think those two are undeniable. So what is the application to us? Like this, 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 this very, his, his sovereignty over nature. I mean, I, I don't do a whole lot of, of deep sea fishing. You know, I mean, I'm not on boats a whole lot. I'm just not. Uh, every now and then on a lake somewhere, so I don't know that I could apply that part of the story to my life today. However, if we take the storm and make it metaphorical, so let's take the storm and make that metaphorical to represent whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that comes suddenly and violently and is life-threatening. I do not believe that is the wrong application of this passage. I think it's, a, I think it's a, a, a second tier possibly of application, but I definitely believe that that is there. The disciples followed God's instructions and got on that boat and went across the sea, halfway across there. At some point in the sea, a sudden violent storm came upon them, scared them half to death. They woke up Jesus somewhat frustrated that he was sleeping and begged him to basically save them. And he says, look, I, I mean... You, you've seen, you've seen, you know me. You've seen with your own eyes God's anointing on my life. Why would you not think? Why would you not believe that right here in the midst of this storm with me in the boat that you would not be safe with me? So that's the application for us. Jesus is with you no matter where you go, how far away from here you go, no matter how far away from this building you are, no matter whether you're alone or in a crowd of people or on a boat in the ocean or a plane in the sky or scuba diving several fathoms down, God and Jesus is with you. You have nothing to fear because God is with you. You don't have to get all worked up and go outside and try to be a big shot and rebuke a storm. God's with you already. 
God already knows the result of that storm. He knows exactly where you're going to be. He knows everybody else is going to be affected by that storm. Can we pray that God would, would be merciful and remove the storm? Absolutely. I'm not saying not to do that. But if he doesn't, does it mean he's not with you? No. No. And if there is an error that we have made in the modern day church, if there is an error we have made, it is that any discomfort, any pain, any trials, any tribulations is indicative that God is not with us. He's not with us. That is absolutely false. Absolutely false. God is with us every step, everywhere we go. God is with us, going with us, protecting us, and helping us. We have his spirit dwelling, within, dwelling inside us. We have his word to encourage us. And we have a family of faith right here to walk beside us through thick and thin. Do not let the sudden, violent storms of life terrify you and make you wonder if God is sleeping I can promise you God is not sleeping. He's not sleeping. He knows your every thought. He knows your every need. He is your heavenly father and he loves you. No matter what happens to you, no matter whether you're sick and you've got cancer and I've been to your house five times to anoint you with oil and pray over you, God hadn't healed you, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It just means you're fitting to go to heaven, amen? That's what it means. Because eventually... Eventually, that's where we're all going to wind up, amen? We sure hope so, amen? Unless he comes before and raptures us, then what a party is that going to be, amen? Do not fear the storms, the sudden violent storms. He may seem like he's not around. Sometimes, I understand that, but trust me, he's not asleep. He's with you, and he's going to protect you, and he's going to get you through it. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for seeing this story of the Lord Jesus and the power that he wielded over nature and the fact that, Lord, that he has called us to teach your truth and to minister to this world to tell them the truth of who Jesus is, to look to his divinity and to look to his power as evidence that he is the son of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, that needs healing, that needs prayer, Father, this altar is always open during the invitation to have this altar flood and have us pray and cry out to you. Because Lord, you're not asleep. You're not asleep. You never sleep. You're always awake. You're always there as our eternal high priest at the right hand of the Father mediating on our behalf. Lord, help us to be humble servants. As your word says, to be first, we have to be last, to be a, to be a, a doer and not a hearer only. To look to Christ for strength and security and peace. And Lord, if our prayers seem to fail, we need to know that they have not failed, that it just wasn't your will, that we were not in line with your will. And it happens, Father, it happens. But it's okay. 
That is one of those situations where we go to Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work for the good of those called according to your purpose. And know that there is an eternity with you that we always look forward to, Lord, no matter what happens here. So, Lord Jesus, we pray this today, and we ask if there's anyone here that does not know you, that they would, that they would know you before the invitation is over. That we are here to love them and help them and pray for them and walk with them. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for a brief time of response?